stories of the Bible, the fiery furnace. There once were three Jewish men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey! When they were very young, they were taken from Israel to live in a place called Babylon. At that time, the king of Babylon was a man named Nebuchadnezzar. That's it. Almost there. And he made a gold statue that was 90 feet tall. Perfect. The king sent a message for everyone to come to the dedication of his statue. When everyone had assembled, <laughs> it was declared that people of all races, nations, and languages would bow before the statue and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's statue when they heard the sound of musical instruments. If anyone refused, they would be thrown into a fiery furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people bowed to the ground and worshipped. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not because they were Jewish and would only bow to the one true God. Some of the wise men of Babylon went to the king and told him that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow to the statue. What? This made the king very angry, and he asked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego if it was true that they would not bow to the statue. Then he said he would give them one more chance to bow down, and if they did not bow, they will be thrown into the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied that they didn't need to defend themselves against the king. They said, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. The king was so angry with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that he commanded the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be bound and thrown in the fire. The fire was so hot that it killed the soldiers that threw them in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell into the flames. But suddenly, the king jumped up and said to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw him in the furnace? The advisor said, yes. But the king said, look, I see four men walking around the fire and the fourth looks like a god. Then the king shouted to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire and everyone saw that the fire had not touched them. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar praised the one true God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had rescued them from the fire. And the king made a new command that anyone who spoke a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be greatly punished. Then he promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in his court. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted in God and were willing to die rather than worship any god but their own god. What a story, hey? You guys probably heard it all before. Yeah. Heard that story. It's quite a famous one, isn't it? It's talked about a lot. I'm going to see whether you were listening, guys. Do you, what was it 
that King Nebuchadnezzar set up? What was it he'd made and that he'd set up? Were you listening? What was it? It was a golden statue. Hmm. Now, if you've been studying Daniel over the last few weeks, a golden statue might be familiar. Did you guys recognise that, B? Yeah. Tell us, B, really loud voice. It was in the king's dream. It was in the king's dream in Daniel chapter two. There was a big statue, and the head was made of gold. If you take us, there should be the slide, B, because in Daniel chapter two it says. He says, your majesty looked and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. And the head of the statue was made of pure gold. And he then goes on to say, that head of gold was you. I wonder whether he got his idea from his dream. Hmm. Well, here he is. The other thing to note about the statue is that this statue was a magnificent, powerful, important statue. But ten times, just in those first verses, does the writer here emphasise that it was man-made, that it was set up by a human. The, the statue that the king had made, he set up for people. This was no god like our god. This was man-made. It's almost like the biblical author here is wanting us to go, <laughs> yeah, of course, that's not got any authority. That doesn't even compare to the authority of our God. Well, he was making this big display of how powerful he was, wasn't he, guys? And so this golden God was no match for the king of heaven. And the king was trying to show how powerful he was, but actually pretty soon he's going to find out how powerless he actually was. Um, first thing for us to note, really importantly, is that uh, Babylon was a polytheist nation. Do you know what polytheist means, kids? No. No? Polytheist, polytheist means they'd have lots of gods. So they wouldn't just worship one god and say, this is the new statue that we worship. It would be another one of the other things that they would worship. Okay? So they'd have lots of things that they would give their allegiance to, that they would give their worship and their devotion to. And so King Nebuchadnezzar was simply adding himself to that pile of gods that people might worship he's saying also worship me also come and see how good I am but you know there's another problem isn't there B in that our God set out the rules pretty clearly to the Israelite nation and he said to them da -ding, you shall have no other gods before me you shall not make for yourself an image and you shall not bow down or worship them you see our God was pretty clear that we shouldn't be the kind of people that have lots of things that we worship the worship that and I worship that and I worship that and I worship that we should be the kind of people that puts God as the only person deserving of our worship we shouldn't spread ourselves out and give a bit of everything but I don't know whether you've noticed but our nation is kind of a polytheist nation as well have you noticed this yes. that in our nation there is lots of things wanting us to worship them. Whether that's celebrities or whether that's like sports teams or sports figures. Maybe that's even things like music to worship. Have you ever, have you ever seen like a concert where everyone's like arms are up like this for a concert, right? Doesn't it look a lot like our worship? Interesting, right? Maybe there's like pursuing money or career or success. Like actually that's something that demands our focus and demands that we give everything to our career or to, our, or to gaining money or success. That's something that's demanding of us. There's, what about our phones, our screens, social media? Do you ever find that there's like a draw that says, I want to do more of that? 
There's a drawer that says, come on, give all your time to this. Give all your time to this. What about sometimes friendships can be something that we worship. We can eagerly desire friendship with people or that kind of acceptance from people. Maybe that's something that we worship. What else are you bowing to? What else are you bowing to? So let's just imagine for a minute that we don't know how the story ends. We've just watched it. You guys have told me that you know the story already. But let's just imagine just for a minute. Can you do this, guys? That you are there with Shadrach. Imagine that you're there with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And you're also walking into this courtyard. And you can see that there's this big statue that's put up. And you know what's about to happen. You know that that the king is expecting you to worship this statue, right? So in you go, walking in with your friends, thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? What shall I do? How do you think Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are feeling in this moment? Can you picture it? What do you think they'd be feeling as they walk into the courtyard? What do you think? I'm worried that they might have to, that that, that they have to worship this god when they have another god. And if they do, and if they don't worship that god, they'll be put in the fire. Yeah, I think they'd be pretty worried. What do you think, Michelle? I think they might be scared. Yeah, I definitely think they'd be feeling scared. Anna? Just being normal. Oh, interesting. You think they'd be so confident that God would just save them in this moment that they could just walk in thinking, I've got the confidence of walking with God. Any other feelings? Any other feelings? Go on, no. I'm angry because... Um, because of he thinks that he's the only God and he's the greatest God and out of all those other gods that think they were the greatest gods but they're angry because they know um, that their God is the real and true God yeah they might have had a righteous anger amongst them like that that says this, this anger is kind of a right feeling that says no no one's as good as my God that's the kind of feeling they might have had that's a good one now I don't know whether you've ever had a moment like this. Some of you might, where you've had to kind of, you know that the choice is coming to stand for God or to fit in with the crowd. Maybe you've had a moment like that. I remember back when I was probably about the same age as Anna Sidnall and I was sat in RE at secondary school and I knew that we were starting this new module on Christianity and I knew, I knew what was coming. And you know when your heart's beating and you know there's going to be a moment. <laughs> Some of you know this. And the teacher was like, anybody here is a Christian? Will you just stand up for us? And I knew it was, I, I don't know why I knew it was coming, but I just knew. And in that moment, I had that, that same scared feeling, that same kind of, but I know, I know that, this is the moment to stand up for God, but what on earth are all my friends going to be saying? And I had no fiery furnace at the end of that story, right? There was no actual danger, but it still gets your heart pumping when you have to stand out from the people around you and set out that you're different. Well, you see, Jesus tells his disciples, you can put this next one up, Bibi. He tells his disciples to expect us being different to be tricky. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves guys what are sheep like nice and fluffy nice and fluffy okay what are wolves like kind of they're kind of aggressive have you guys ever watched that frozen scene where olaf's in the woods and the wolves will chase after him have you seen that one that's wolves (laughs) they're not very nice animals they chase and they fight and they hurt they're very aggressive so Jesus says hey I'm sending you to be like a nice fluffy sheep with these wolves 
He's saying it's not, it's not going to be smooth sailing, guys. You're going to be under attack. And he says, but don't be afraid of those that can kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. Jesus is saying, look, have a different focus. Actually, do you know what? It's going to be aggressive and it's going to be tricky. Jesus is warning his disciples. That's what it's going to be like. And he warns us too, that to stand out for God is tricky, but have a different focus. Don't focus on that. So do you think it was an easy choice for them to stand out from the crowd? No. Do you think it was easy? No. No? Why don't you think it was easy? Go on, Anna. Don't know? Matthew, help her. Because it would have been in... Pardon? You can help. Again. Why was it, was it an easy choice for them to stand no. out? No. Because... Yeah, because they had a really big punishment at the end of this, didn't they? What other answers do we have? Do you think it was? Do you think it was easy? Were you a no as well, Noah? No, it wasn't an easy choice. Bibi, put this next one up for us. You see, I think there were a couple of things going through their head in this moment. I think, firstly, they'd have been thinking, well. I wonder if I could outwardly conform and do what's expected of me, but inwardly still follow God. I wonder if they were just wondering, you know what, can I bow? And it's just a bowing moment. It's okay, I don't really believe it, but I could do what looks like I'm agreeing. I wonder if you've ever thought like that, whether you've ever thought on the outside, I could look the same, but on the inside, I'll be different. I'll act like everyone else and I'll do the things that everyone else are doing. But on the inside, I will be different. You know, following God is not a part-time, half-hearted call. It affects everything. It affects how we behave. It affects how we speak, how we dress, what we watch, what we listen to, what we say. God wants all of you. He doesn't just want the, want the inside feelings and thoughts. He wants all of you. Don't give half of your allegiance somewhere else. I wonder whether they thought, well, you know what? I could do more for God later if I just get through this moment. If I stay silent now, I could be really helpful to God later. I wonder if they thought that. I mean, they were in a really privileged position with the king. They were like key advisors. Maybe they thought, well, you know what, this isn't the issue. Let's just get through this one and then I'll help later. I wonder if you've ever thought that. Whether, you, whether you've ever thought, well, if, if I put my head up on this issue, then I won't get a chance to speak out on that one. Maybe you've ever thought like that. You know, God doesn't ask us to keep our heads down. <laughs> Sometimes God asks us to put our heads up. He says, he says we, don't, we don't know whose plan it is. And, you know, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, when they were walking into that courtyard, they didn't know what God was going to do. They didn't know whether he'd save them, but they did know who he was. And they did know that what God wants is obedience in this and every moment. Not just at this moment, I'll stay silent and I'll obey, I'll obey later. He's going, no, I want obedience now and later. You see, God had already been preparing Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. I wonder if you recognise their names, you see, because they were there with Daniel in chapter one when there was the issue over the food. They're going, well, do we eat the food? Do we not eat the food? God had already been preparing them in secret in that small thing when no one was watching. They said, no, I'll follow God with the food. There was no audience there. 
just the guard. I'm going to follow God on the quiet. And then in Daniel chapter 2, with the statue and the dream, there they were with, Dave, with Daniel saying, we're going to pray and ask God to give the interpretation to the dream. You know, they'd already risked their heads over a death issue. You know, the king was already going to kill them on that issue and they'd already trusted God to save them from certain death in Daniel chapter 2. So actually, God had already been preparing their hearts. So how are you at following God when no one is watching? It's by getting our hearts right on the private things that the decision to follow him publicly becomes so much easier. See, I think walking into that courtyard, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were thinking, I know what I have to do. So actually the choice isn't that tricky because I've already settled this in my heart privately on the other things that I will always choose to follow God. So they boldly proclaim these words. They say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. You know, they knew God. They knew his ability. They knew his power. They knew what he could do. He is able, is what they said. We know him. We know he's able. But they didn't know his plan. They didn't know what he'd do, even if he doesn't. If he does, if there's an if in there, they don't know his plan. But they didn't let that change their obedience to worship him alone. You know, our nation is full of those other things that are demanding our worship. But God is looking for faithful worshippers who take courageous stands to follow him exclusively, unreservedly and wholeheartedly. Can we just stand for a moment? I'm going to come back and speak again in a minute, but I think at this point, I just want us to respond as worshippers, if that's okay. I just think there's something in our hearts to settle in this moment, and then I'll bring another 10 minutes in just a moment. So I just want to kind of hold your hands out and just want to pray really quickly for us as worshippers. Kids, you can do this too. Father God, we just come before you now and recognise you are God alone. There is no one else deserving of our worship. And Lord, we're sorry for the times where we've let those other things take priority, that we've let those other things become important. Holy Spirit, we need your help to get those things right, to stand for you alone. Would you give us the courage that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had? Would you give us the wisdom to speak up? You give us the boldness. Lord, we want to say today that we serve you alone. We worship you alone and we are yours. Be worshipped this morning. Amen. We're just going to respond in a really quick song and then I'm going to carry on. There we go. There's a couple more. Shout if you missed out. Heads up. <laughs> okay. Let's move on. <laughs> Are you all awake now? <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about this cross king and his fiery furnace. Okay, see this cross king came up with this bold claim. And he said, he put up this magnificent statue and then he said, then what God will be able to save you from my 
hand. That's what he said. This this king, this arrogant king who thought he was so powerful, said, then what God will be able to save you from my hand? You know, he'd leveled the playing field. You know, there was a bit of a power showdown happening at this moment. He's going, come on, see how powerful I am. Come on. Who's going to challenge me? Who's going to challenge me? And this king got furious over this power struggle. You see, God showed up and the king answered his own question a few verses later. In verse 29, he says, no other God can save. No other God. He knew that this God, our God, was the true God. I thought it would be the children playing with the buzzers, Luluna. <laughs> you see, Nebuchadnezzar was impressed by how God saved. You see, he didn't deliver them from the fire, but he chose to rescue them in the fire. Hear the difference, you see, because he could have taken the fire option away and like distinguished the fire or meant that they didn't have to go in the fire at all. But actually, these guys had that moment of going, even if God doesn't, we would still not bow. And then they got pushed into the fire, right? And have watched the guards around them burst into flame and ashes, right? That they actually ended up in the fire. What an amazing faith moment for these guys who were like, I'm going to have to go anyway, right? I did take the pictures from the video, yeah. But you see, God could have saved them from going in the fire, but he didn't. He saved them once they were in the fire. And it was in the fire that this arrogant king was actually bowled over by the power of the living God right you see sometimes God has a more important work to do in the fire okay and so if you find yourself standing a bit too close to the flames know that sometimes God has a more important thing to do in the fire you know there's some debate in this moment as to who it was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, you guys have probably maybe heard some of this debate about the fourth person. The king says he looks like a son of the gods. He looks like a son of the gods. You know, I, the commentators disagree and I'm not going to fool one way here. You see, some people think this was actually Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus walking around in the fire long before he was born as a baby in Bethlehem. Some people say that it's Jesus. Some people say this is an angel. You know, certainly King Nebuchadnezzar said this looks like an angel. That's what he was saying. But I'm not going to come down on my theology of Christophanes over a non-Christian king um, and his language. So that, I don't think this passage stands alone to speak about that. And if you're interested, we can have a chat later and that would be great fun. But that's not the point of the passage. The somehow, supernaturally, God's presence was there in the fire. That's the message of the passage. Whoever it was, whether an angelic being, whether Jesus himself, God was present with them in their greatest moment of suffering. That is good news for us. You see, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were very respectful to the king, but they said, I'm not going to bow. They made him so furious. He was feeling so powerful. And then these three people were just saying no. And he gave them this second chance. He said, come on, come on how maybe this is because he liked them obviously he'd helped they'd helped interpret his dream just in the chapter before hadn't they and at the end of chapter one if you remember with the food they were uh, recognized as being some of the best in the king's training school 
right? So actually, maybe he liked them and he thought, you know, let's give them a second chance because I really don't want to throw them in fire. Or maybe he was just so embarrassed by the fact that they weren't bowing. He thought, okay, let's kind of see if we can make this right before it gets disastrous. Even so, he gives them the second chance and they come up with this respectful sentence. You know, they didn't get cross with the king. They just said, you know, your majesty, this is, this is the deal. We're not going to bow. You know, even if God didn't save, save them, they didn't know whether God would. Even if God didn't save them, you know, maybe like them, you know God, you know his ability, you know his power and his authority, but you don't know what he's doing. Maybe you find yourself in that space at the moment and you think, I'm waiting for answers or I don't know what way to go. Or do you know what? This fire feels really close and I just don't know what God is doing in it. I just don't know why. Maybe you're finding that. Maybe you've been asking for something in prayer and it feels like God isn't answering or it feels like God isn't answering the way you'd like. You know what? There's two things I'd like us to find strength in. Firstly, God is still good. God is still good. You know, even when he doesn't respond as we want, he is good in his very being. That is who he is. He cannot be anything other than good. I hear this because it's really important to know about our God. You see, even if there was a hint of God that wasn't good, then he wouldn't be God. For God to be God, he has to be wholly everything in him good. Now, that's tricky for us to understand because all of our experience of good is tainted. No one can be completely wholly good like God was. Because I can be really good in this moment, but in 10 minutes, I'll be really bad. You know, actually, your experience of good is going to be swayed by that. Eddie. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was bad. So, <laughs> exactly, right? In, the, in your moments of thinking, why is God not answering? Why is God not saving? Why? You know, of your unknown of God's plan, knowing that God is good helps us because it helps us know that his plan and his goodness is better than our goodness, better than our idea of goodness. So when we can trust in who he is, it helps us with what we don't know. Okay, that's the first one. That's why. Yeah, just to highlight that moment for us. I appreciated it. The second thing is that our worship of God does not depend on your circumstances. Worship doesn't depend there. You know, he was worthy long before the, your circumstances came about and he will be worthy of worship long after your circumstances too. He has already done everything for you at the cross. You see, fire moments are going to happen in our lives. Jesus told us about it in Matthew 10. He said the fire is it's going to happen. You're going to be like those, those sheep at the wolves. You know, those moments are going to happen. Sometimes there'll be big fires. Sometimes there'll be small fires. Sometimes those fires are just going to go on forever. And you're thinking, when is this fire out? Sometimes God will take the fire from us from ever reaching our door, you know. But we're never alone because God is with us. Amen. So what kind of God is able to save? That's what the king asked. You know, we've got a powerful God. He is a powerful God. He is able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine. He protected them from any damage or any, even any lasting damage from the fire. You know, it wasn't just that they came out scarred. They were alive and breathing, but they were damaged. There was not even any damage on their clothes. They didn't even smell like smoke. If you've ever sat around a bonfire, 
That's pretty amazing. They didn't even smell like smoke. You know, when God chooses to deliver, he does so completely. He is a relational God. He's not far off. He's walking with us. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are just strolling around that fire, walking in the peace of having God with them. When you've got God with you, you can know the peace in the fire. You can be sure that God is with you when you walk into the hospital wards, when you walk into those board meetings at work, when you walk down through a difficult playground or challenging classroom, when you find yourself in a lonely home, when you're into the bank, when you're into the workplace, you go into conflict, God is certainly with you. You can know the peace in that moment. He's a God who knows suffering. Jesus suffered worse than this. He's been through worse. He suffered the most horrendous death on the cross. He bled and died for you. He is a God who knows immense suffering. He's a God who knows what it's like to be rejected, to know unbearable pain. He's been through the fire. He knows what it's like. And he's a God of deliverance. He's a God who does deliver and he's a God who has rescued and saved us through his death on the cross. He has rescued and saved us from certain death. So we can rejoice in our suffering, even in the fire, because we know who God is. Um, We're going to finish here. Will you just stand for a second? We're going to take communion. If you're finding that it feels like you're in the fire at the moment, or you're a bit too close to the flames, that things feel tough, then use this as a response to say, actually, I come and give those circumstances to you and trust your goodness in this moment.